Hello there. Welcome to Rome FM. Here we dive into the minds, workflows, and machinations of the Rome cult, the believers of Rome research. My name is Norman Cella, and I am on a mission to deconstruct wisdom from all walks of life, so we can understand each other better. In this episode, we talk with Lucas Cavara, or better known as Cortex Futura on Twitter, a known Roman in the personal knowledge management space and educator through the following Rome courses, Galaxy Brain and Sight to Write, to help you build deeper knowledge and think better. And as someone who has just had the conversation that you're about to listen to in a bit, he is someone who knows how to build deeper knowledge and think better. So you are in for a very interesting conversation. In the midst of getting a PhD in political science, Lucas has done work on governance, cybersecurity, and data analysis throughout his academic career. And with that comes the itch to make things connect, to write notes down and create his own personal workflows until he stumbled into Rome. So in this episode, we talked about the name Cortex Futura. How did he create it? His origin story. What was his personal system to handle the ever-growing workflows of his PhD reading and discovering Rome Research the tool and how it blew his mind? I asked him a very simple question. What is his workflow in Rome? And we took a deep dive into using Google Scholar, Zotero, elements of synchronous reading, reading PDFs and academic papers side by side with Rome, and the different types of reading that you can do when trying to consume. We took a deep dive into achieving context-dependent insight, which is quite different from the commonly known Tiago Forte's progressive summarization technique, Lucas talks more about how Rome research allows for context-dependent insight to be discovered and understood and applied. Then there is the algorithms of thought, which is a very, very fascinating topic to talk about. We ended up having some agreements and disagreements on this when comparing it to mental models, which is great because I really do adore the civil discussion. In what ways will tools of thought will expand and make an impact on existing institutions and ways of looking at certain fields? And what was it that Naval said on the Tim Ferriss show that made Lucas upset? And much more. So it is quite a variety of topics, as you would expect from a Roman conversation. So without further ado, let's dive into my chat with Cortex Futura of Galaxy Brain and Site to Write. Before we start, like honestly, mm-hmm. I, we're already right into it, but I might as well <laughs> just say this right up front. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very honest. It's kind of awkward for me to call you Lucas. Because I'm so used to seeing, <laughs> I'm so used to seeing Cortex Futura like, yeah, on sure. Twitter. So uh, don't mind me accidentally calling you Cortex. No, uh, don't don't worry about it. Uh, whatever <laughs> whatever comes naturally, I'll I'll take it. Uh, Cortex does sound cool, so um, don't you worry about it. All good. <laughs> I have to ask, actually, where did the name come from? Oh yeah, so um, that was basically me trying to come up with a way to to encapsulate my mindset last December, right? It's been almost a year mm. now, um, about what I thought Rome would be, right? Or what Rome could be. Um, because for me, like cortex came from the neocortex, right? Your brain and right. um, Futura, Latin, future. And um, I was like, okay, that kind of is like, what's the, 
What's the future of thinking and collaborative thinking and working together on problems, um, developing your own thinking into um, better thinking? And that's kind of um, where where that came from. And I had like a lesson way, way back in, in high school. So um, the kind of the searching, searching for Latin words came kind of naturally. Um, so oh. I think that's, uh, that's how I came up with it. Oh, it's beautiful because I, I, of course, to prep for this, I've searched your name and other than, you know what? I, it took me a while to find your last name. <laughs> it took me a while because you have made uh, the alter ego uh, Cortex Futura much more prominent um, yeah. than you would your your full name. Uh, and uh, after listening to your episodes on ultra working, uh, which uh, for our listeners, uh, Lucas is a a a great guest to have uh, on Thank any you. show because uh, <laughs> I've I've heard quite a number of your talks. Th there was something that was brought up actually uh, in that show mm -hmm. before we dive into like. The side of you that is Cortex Futura, uh, yeah. there is the PhD candidate, or you're wrapping up your PhD, I believe. Yes. And if you could correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in computer science and international relations, which is a, quite a fascinating intersection, but could you tell me what were you doing up until now before you discovered Rome Research? Sure. Yeah. So... Um Computer science and international relations is Sebastian's way. Um, so Sebastian is the the founder of um, Ultra Working, of yeah. making political science sound cool. Um, ah. I do work on um, cybersecurity and governments online and how they interact with each other. But like the the proper uh, way to call it is I do comparative political science research, right? Right. Um, but indeed, I um, look at how governments are online, what they do online, um, how they... Uh, react to attacks, right? So one main focus of my research is denial of service attacks, um, how they're used um, against governments, against protesters, that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, uh, before Rome research, um, I started yeah. my PhD in 2017. 18, 19, 20. Yes. Uh, 2017. Um, before that, did a master's, bachelor's, um, all in political science. For the last eight years, I've been working as a um, programmer, data analyst for um, one of the professors um, at the university, who is now my supervisor. Um, and that's where kind of the, the intersection between political science and data and computers kind of came from, right? <clears throat> and that basically happened by... I was looking for a um, research assistant job. He was coming new to university, to our university eight years ago. Uh, he was looking for a programmer. Um, I was not a programmer, um, but I always wanted to learn. So in about a month, I went through um, Learn Python the Hard Way uh, from Zed Shaw, um, who's... Um, now an, now an internet friend of mine, uh, which is very cool. Um, <laughs> so shout out to Zed. Um, and 
yeah, so uh, kind of using that book taught myself uh, in a month enough uh, Python to kind of pass the, um, oh yeah, okay, I, I can work with you screening. Um, and since then we've we've been working together. Um, I've been working for him doing data analysis and now like proper political science research. I'm really interested to see how this overlaps uh, because how did you discover Rome? Was it just randomly surfing through Twitter and yeah, there was um yeah. I think through um Sebastian I was following um uh, Fisakan on um on Twitter and then uh Connor kind of like did a little bit of uh Tiago trashing or whatever uh, <laughs> and I was like okay um I I need to check out this uh Rome research app and what's really interesting actually is that before Rome Research, I was like in the hardcore, everything needs to be a text file camp, right? So before right. Um, Rome Research, like I had hacked my own, uh, kind of like uh, Stian, right, who you had on, on the podcast, uh, we had independently kind of developed similar workflows where we had hacked like Zettelkasten-like systems together using um, Sublime Text and BibTeX and, and what have you. Um, and I've been doing that for, I don't know, since since my second year in undergrad or something, right? So um, I've been a note-taking nerd for, I don't know, 10 years now. Um, and like my road to that was like Mac Power users and Merlin Man 42nd folder um, and uh, Brett Terpstra and, and the whole um, the whole thing. Um, and yeah, so I was in in this hardcore everything needs to be a text file for portability thing. I had tried Evernote, didn't like it. I was like, oh, everything needs to be a text file. But um I was kind of unhappy with that, right? Like moving machines and then you have to reconfigure all the plugins and like it's not as easy as you wanted um, to have. And then Rome came along and I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll check this out. And then Rome had backlinks and block embedding. And I was like, oh the messiah <laughs> um, <laughs> um it's like it's um did you did you uh play age of empires um yes yes back of course in the day? like the, yeah, the yeah. priests wallala that's yeah. kind of what rome did to me right <laughs> like i was <laughs> i was immediately uh con converted um and yeah since then i've been geeking out in the rome cult and um doing doing that for a bit <laughs> Uh, I never thought I'd hear an Age of Empires reference, and out of all the things, it's the priest conversion. Uh, it was just as fast for me, so I have to say that that is a, actually an, mm -hmm. a great analogy. Uh, oh, and that's that's great because I feel like I feel like in the pursuit of because you've been doing this since undergrad, in the pursuit of trying to build your own system, your own hacky workflows, you stumbled into Rome. You tried it out. You realized that the few key features, the transclusion and the backlinking allowed for, well, one, it allowed you to streamline what you're trying to do. And two, and I, you maybe you might agree with this, it allowed you to realize that the systems that you were 
doing for yourself were very, very inefficient. And it was just a lot better to remove all that. Yeah. Once you've implemented that in Rogue, yeah. um, which is where the transition into the into the world of Rome research or like the evolution of one's I like I like to call it the evolutions of one's of one's thinking uh, mm-hmm. to allow their notes and blocks and pages to mesh with each other well in a graph uh, to grow uh, over time and it's like a it's like a muscle that you have to train the more that you use Rome uh, yep. but I know that you're very good at this uh, to the point where you've built a couple of courses uh, uh, but before we touch on those courses I do have to ask. Well, what's your workflow actually? Once you, for example, you know, read through an academic paper uh, for your PhD, and or you find a resource that you think, okay, I feel like this is very relevant to what I'm interested in right now. I feel like it's key to a few projects I'm working on. When you put that information, what, no matter what the content is or whatever the medium is, what happens in your graph? What's the? Uh, could you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, guide me through that. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, actually, I think I'll start with uh, with the very first step. It's like I find a, an article on Google Scholar or where have you. Um, I click the Zotero import um, connector thing in Chrome. All the metadata from that paper gets uh, saved to Zotero, and then yeah. through a keyboard shortcut. Um, I copy that metadata into uh, Rome, right? And the way I set that up is through um, side keys, right? Um, I think Joel um, Chan, who you also had on on the podcast, um, does that uh, similarly, is that the um, paper title uh, or the page in Rome that has, that that is kind of the, the literature page for, for that source um gets the the site key which is uh a specifically formatted string of author name and year and like a couple of words from from the article that makes it later in the workflow very easy to reference um that paper compared to um kind of manually searching for that information um all the time um and now i have that in in Rome, um, it has its, its own page, um, and then most of the time, what I do is I open the PDF and Rome side by side, right? Um, because for me, um, what I have found for for me personally is I do best when I do uh, what I call synchronous reading and note-taking, right? So I read and I take notes in Rome at the same time. Like if you um, only have a piece of paper and you're on the train and you can't use Rome, right? Then you kind of do asynchronous reading and note-taking. You highlight, you like do a couple of notes and and then you later transfer and and do all the connection. Um, But for me, I know, okay, I kind of associate best when I have the the power of Rome at my fingertips, right? (laughs) and so what I what I do is I I go through most often the um, uh, workflow is um, abstract introduction conclusion right um, before I then dive into the method section or like really dissect uh, the thing and okay um, 
here the the idea is kind of to to do multiple steps of filtering right so like i've decided okay i'm going to look at this article in more detail by making the choice okay i'm actually going to save it to zotero right so now i have it and i have the i have the actual pdf um and then i kind of go through okay what actually can i use here right um and you go abstract introduction gives you in most papers a really good idea okay how is this situated in the literature um the results um and and then you can kind of already triangulate okay how does this fit into um everything else i know about the topic right and then i um copy most often whole paragraphs into uh, Rome. Every paragraph is its own block. Um, I mark it as a quote paragraph and I note the um, specific location, right, like page. Um, and then under that, I indent the comments and extra extracts um, that I have on that paragraph, right? Um, and that allows me to um, keep the full context of what I'm reading and reevaluate my own thoughts without having to dig out the PDF later, right? I think that is, at least from, from an academic standpoint, uh, one of the key weaknesses of the progressive summarization workflow right, that, that Tiago um, talks about, which I think has its applications. But um, for me, um, it's more about context-dependent insight, right? So yeah. like, okay, what's the, what's the thought context I'm in? What parts do I extract today? And what parts do I extract next week? And how do they relate to each other, right? It's not about, I'm going to summarize this to one key truth that I then yeah. reference anywhere, right? Because, um, and I think this is just a legitimate difference between academic workflows and the more popular science writing kind of um, thing where you make a reference to author X writes about this, right? So Tim Ferriss writes or... Um, I don't know, Walter Isaacson writes. Whereas for me, like for what I write, I have to give the page number every single time, right? I can't right. just say, well, that guy, of course, right? You have very high level summarizations where like that author talks about whatever. Um, but very often you need to know, okay, on what particular point um, or um, to what particular point am I referring to here? Right, and you want that traceability um, of of information, and yeah, basically that that's kind of it um, for for working through a paper. Of course, there's um, a, different workflows in what um, um, Adler and Van Doren um, how to read a book, right? What they call analytical reading and inspectional reading, right? So. Am I going into a particular article 
because it is kind of key to my argument and I really have to understand it and find its flaws and, and comment on it? Um, or is it, okay, I need to learn about autocracies, right? Like what's an autocracy? What does the term mean? How do different authors kind of define it? How do these definitions spread through the literature? And that's kind of where you start with inspectional reading, right? You go through, okay, yeah. who has written about the, the topic of autocracy or democracy or healthcare or what have you, right? And then you go through and say, okay, author X says um, this and um, author Z says this, and then you kind of um, mesh it um, together. And the way I do that is um, through question pages, right? So what is an autocracy question mark and then in the quotes of each individual article i just reference that question page and then on that question page i know immediately okay um this is what um different authors have have said about it um and that's basically the the process of getting information in um and I do that with blog posts and YouTube videos and want to have you basically the same way. Um, yeah. This is very fascinating to me, especially because of how methodical it is um, as compared to progressive summarization. And I'm really glad that you brought this up because I was actually going to ask you about it. Um, since I've looked at your uh, outline for Galaxy Brain and Sight to Write, massive differences there between progressive summarization, which focuses on trying to understand the contents of an article by, I don't want to say forcing, but encouraging atomicity of mm -hmm. a point or insight, which is, you know, it can be useful. Like if you want to remember that, sure. Um, but when it comes to very detailed or high density pieces of information or like full journal articles or an academic paper, right? like tons of paragraphs, um, maybe experiments or hypotheses that you have to look back over and over again. Uh, you brought up context-dependent insights, and I'm really, really happy that you brought that up because I feel like more and more Romans who will be using this tool for consuming just about anything will gradually lean towards that because of the availability of features which allow for context-dependent insight to actually occur. Well, you can do it now with any other tool. I'm just saying occur more often. For sure. Which is yeah. which is great with the like block ref and actually copying in full paragraphs, which I do as well. Um, so I have loads of blocks where there's just this giant text <laughs> that fills up my screen and I forget why uh, I have that. And then I look at the indents. I'm like, oh, okay, this is where it branches right. off to. And, and, that, and that is so key, right? Like yeah, yeah. that you... Um, I um, I have an article on my, on on my blog like highlight dementia right like why the hell did I say this <laughs> right why did I highlight this I don't know um, and this is where kind of where you kind of have to pay attention whether you're doing synchronous or asynchronous reading right because if right. you're doing asynchronous reading falling into that kind of collector's fallacy of okay i'm just going to mark everything but like a day later i don't know why right is is very easy whereas when you do it synchronously um 
you collect and accumulate these indented bullets that give you context to, hey, what was I thinking um, about um, here? And of course, I, I think that's also kind of a trade-off often um, of how fast do you want or have to be, right? Like copying right. things over is just faster um, than than going um, in, in detail. And I think sometimes it's actually enough, right? Of course, collective fallacy, like saving everything into Rome without processing it, it probably not very useful. But um, on the other hand, I, I have a couple of pages, especially from... from the the very beginnings of when I was using Rome, um, that I didn't work through as methodically as I would most likely do it today, um, but where I'm still glad I have them. Right, so um, yeah. I um, have all of Venavar's uh, Venavar Bush's um, as they may think, as you may think, or uh, whatever it's called, um, in there, right? Um, and or a bunch of stuff from Nicholas Luhmann that I didn't go through like paragraph by paragraph, but just copied over. And just recently, like working on on the course update, um, I just like used Rome as you do, and I was like, oh yeah, that that was that piece, and that was that piece, right? And it's still there, and it's still kind of in your your thinking orbit, and that alone is worth um, its non-existent weight in gold, right? So yeah. um, it's it's just super super useful. Yeah, because at the very least, you can allow synchronous reading for a later date, right? right. Even right. if you're not a even if you're not, you know, even if you find this interesting paper, you're like, oh, yeah, sure, it'll be interesting, but maybe I don't have time right now, or I I know I will want to consume this, but at least let me prep for it so I can copy the blocks or copy the paragraphs, which I think might be interesting, but I'll have a look at it later. And you'll be glad that your future self would be glad because you can look back at these blocks and be like, oh, right, I remember my past self telling me, or I remember my past self being interested in this why and then you do the processing which is right. a huge difference when it comes to like what you mentioned highlighting and in synchronous reading which i think is quite damaging actually mm-hmm. to people who are trying to consume information their purpose or their intent before they even initiate that i feel is not clear enough that they result it results in them feeling like they've accomplished something by only putting in surface level effort. And I'm not yeah. trying to degrade the act of progressive summarization because there are huge benefits to that. But the thing is, it, it brings up the situation where you highlight this thing and you're like, why, why the hell, why did I highlight this block? It's like six words and it doesn't mean anything because I threw away everything else because it, you know, it makes my graph look dirty or anything like that. Um, insight that has its context stripped, it's... It's just sent. It's just words put together, right? It doesn't right. mean yeah. anything, right? Exactly. It's, it's like yeah. uh, it's like saying a language. It's like saying a sentence in a language that's already been dead for thousands of years, right? Even if you say it, even if you read it, even if you understand it, no one's going to gain anything from hearing you say it. Like, it's, there's just no point. Like, I feel like it's just uh, wasting your brain power, which would have been used to better process it. Um, so, uh, on that note. Uh, I know that this has been your, this has been your, uh, 
your main field of interest uh, in the world of Rome, uh, seeing as how everybody, well, a lot of Romans uh, know about uh, your two main courses, which is uh, Sight to Write and Galaxy Brain. I do want to ask, and this has been asked on Twitter, so I might as well, I believe it was uh, Matthew McKinley, so shout out to Matt, uh, for asking this question, uh, how did the courses start, actually? Uh, what what compelled you to want to build something more evergreen to promote this? Yeah, so um, I've been kind of thinking and preparing for that since... Um, like December around, I think I had my, I, I had a call with Connor, um, I think a day or two after Christmas. Um, and that was, I think the, the day when like Firebase crashed and like, we just had like a 10 minute talk while he was uh, chain smoking and fixing uh, the back end. <laughs> um, um, and um, yeah, I, I was kind of like, I, I've always, like teaching and I thought like okay I, I have experience with this I've been kind of doing note taking for a couple of years now um, and this is so cool I want to share and um, show that to people um, yeah. and then Nat was faster um, and I experienced quite the same as um, Ali Abdal uh, shared um, on, on the podcast recently uh, where he said like Dang it! I'm too late. Uh, why? Why was he faster? Um, and yeah, then then a friend of mine, um, Lorenzo, he challenged me and said, like, okay, uh, whatever, get it done. The first couple of videos, end of weekend. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. And that was the very, very first, very rough draft. The first couple of videos um, of it, of explaining Rome, and yeah, since then I've what I've tried to do is talk about using Rome from a real world academic context, right, and right. describing what I just described. Um, um here in more detail visually teaching people what what i know about this and where i hope that i can contribute um not a unique but like um specific perspective on using rome right it's called rome research so i feel like okay like i'm kind of doing research i'm i'm contributing <laughs> to the whole idea here um and that goes a bit beyond the um, common and very useful perspective. Okay, I want to use this for just everyday life, right? And Rome is a huge part for me in my everyday life, right? But I also want to to show its power as a tool of thought, right? Where you can use it to make progress in your research and that doesn't have to be in the context of academia right so um if if you do research um for yourself or um in whatever context where you think about things consistently and you want to think clearly and where that's where i hope to to be able to to contribute and help people um use rome um to that effect 
Is that where the term algorithms of thought came to play? Because I wanted to deconstruct that term since mm-hmm. it feels, I'm not, not that it's like technical in any way. I feel like it, it exhibits a certain set of principles behind, if I were to think about A, what is the best way to think about it according to what I'm trying to achieve? Exactly. So, uh, yeah. So could you give me like a deconstruction of, say, if I were to go through your course or if I were to go through your perspective on yeah. research applications through Rome, uh, what is this algorithm that I should be at least addressing and how can I add it to my toolkit? Yeah, for sure. So um, the what I talked about before in terms of um, how do you go through a research paper? How do you read books, right? Yeah. In a very broad sense, that's an algorithm, right? And what's a, what is an algorithm? It's kind of a um, uh, defined sequence of steps you go through towards a particular end, right? It's a very rough um, idea of what, what an algorithm is. Um, everyone uses algorithms all the time. Um, if you do a little bit of math, right? Like seven by two, right? That's very, very roughly, that's a division algorithm, right? And um, so finding ways to to do that kind of deconstructed thinking in other contexts, I think is super useful and something where the tools have been lacking until now, right? And we're still not there yet, but finding ways to help you guide through decision trees, ways to figure a situation out, I think is where a lot of potential still is, right? And I think um, one term that the listeners probably are familiar with is mental models, right? This was kind of a buzzword for a couple of years. Um, And what I find very interesting is what I perceive to be the difference between mental models and algorithms of thought, right? So Mm. um, a mental model often comes in the form of an uh, analogy, right? So what's the breaking point of this business, right? So what's the what's the known um, spot where something is going to break in physics, right? Uh, that's the breaking point, the, the weakest link. Um, and then what's that in the, the business that I'm in, right? Um, that's a mental model. But how do you fix that... Uh, weakest link, right? The process of going through, okay, I have a weak link. How do I make that weak link stronger? That's where algorithms of thought come in, right? It's algorithms of thought in in my mind are process-oriented compared to um, state or um, description-oriented in the the way mental models are. Um, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It it makes it seem like they go hand in hand, as in a mental model allows you to view a situation as, according to these situations or these factors, 
what are the prompts or the questions that I should be asking myself in order to decide what happens next? And then every single step after that is the sequence of events. Oh, sorry. No, not events. Sequence of decisions and or steps that I should take to arrive at an intended end. So it's more, what's the word for it? It goes one after the other, right? So right. it's not like it goes against each other. Oh, okay. I never actually thought about it that way. I've always thought that they are different ways of viewing the context as a whole mm-hmm. because because I go from a very perspective first way of looking at something Therefore, the mental model is already set in place. I have like a huge disagreement with the word mental model, by the way. It's, it's a bit strange. But um, uh, because our perspectives and our accumulative experiences allow us to look at this event or this, you know, this, this product or whatever it is uh, from our own lens, our models are more or less set already, right? And then algorithms of thought are then applicable weapons or tools that we use to say, okay, according to this, I will do the following according to that. And it streamlines, streamlines thinking when that's, that was my thought about it. But. Yeah. I, uh, and, and I think um, the, the key word here, or what I liked about what you just said is the word lens, right? Because yeah. I think about the, the mental models kind of like the different lenses on a camera, Right. Some mental models like different mental models give you different perspectives on a thing. Right. (laughs) And once you get to the point where instead of a um, a system camera where you just have that one lens, where you get to to the point where you have a big, I don't know, Canon, Sony, where you can switch lenses. That is the point where you um, have like mental models at your disposal with which you can look differently um, at the situation. And the algorithms of thought then come in in how do you use that lens, right? Okay, I still right. I, I, I have that lens now on my camera, but I still have to dial focus. I um, Like what's the f-stop I'm going to use? How close am I? What's the lighting? And... Um, then thinking through, okay, I want this particular picture. Um, I have this lens now um, that I think fits that best. What other steps now do I have to take with my camera in hand to get that picture? I think is how mental models and algorithms of thought uh, play together, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does, actually. It, It does, yeah. I just think I, I, for some reason, I'm really sorry. I just have this bias against the word models. Like <laughs> you, you brought it up earlier, it, it's a buzzword, right? Mm. I feel like it's one of those giant oh, 108 mental models for the entrepreneur to take in uh, so that they can tackle the world or something like that. And it's been commoditized to the point where, to the point where, if we take the analogy of this. Like if I give you a guidebook on how to use a camera 108 times, it'll turn you into a professional photographer. No, it won't, right? <laughs> like if I just give you 20 lenses, it won't make you a better photographer, right? Sure. You have to learn it. Yeah. And, yeah. and what I like about your course is that, and, and you can totally chime in on this to elaborate on it if you want, uh, algorithms of thought, I feel, are more personal and cannot be copied or replicated. 
because through learning Rome, through say your principles, you learn to cultivate and grow your own algorithms of thought instead of say looking at somebody else's workflow and thinking, oh, that works for me. I'll just copy it over because I feel that and we could totally wrap on it, like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, go in a deep dive, a rabbit hole in this, because I, I feel that algorithms of thought cannot be, it can be shown as an example, but to learn it, you must experience it yourself. For so sure. So a yeah. lot of the, yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think this um, comes in a way down to, um, experiential knowledge versus book knowledge, right? Like, right. okay, I've right. I've learned about um, an algorithm. I've um, read how division works, right? But I still have to do division a thousand times to actually um, do it really well, right? Yes. Um, and so I kind of agree and disagree um, because I do think you can teach ways of thinking about problems and solving problems um and you you can transmit that and you can share uh an algorithm of thought with me and i can use it but i of course um still have to test it use it and then eventually adapt it right Um, Right, to the specific situation um because even if i give you uh, an algorithm for reading a book, right? And I say, okay, um, first you read the first three chapters and then the last two and then the middle 10, but the book only has five chapters, that kind of falls down, right? So then yeah. you kind of, okay, what's the what's the thinking behind that, that <laughs> algorithm here? Um, and what I'm actually super interested in um, in how Rome will develop is once we get to kind of a public library of algorithms of thought, right? Where people can say, okay, when I think about a problem, I think about it in these steps and Rome helps you walk through these steps without having them memorized, right? Because I think we, we all have subconscious ways of approaching a problem but the moment where you make these explicit right where you make um just like in in an experiment in in a study in in science where you have to make your assumptions explicit where you have to look at okay what interacts with what here um in that moment you can test it right and see okay what's the thing that works what doesn't work and once we kind of can do crowdsourcing um, of these approaches to to thinking, I think that's going to help um, a ton of people in, in sharing that and immediately implementing it without kind of the um, the 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 mental effort in a way to have them memorized in a stressful moment, right? I think this is, and, and, and I've been thinking about this a little bit, um, one of the interesting things about 
people in high pressure situations, right? Like ER doctors or the um, ever famous Navy SEALs, right? Um, is that they really train behaviors under pressure, right? Like yeah. uh, an ER doctor um, immediately knows how to treat a specific wound and does not have to go to the book and like look up the, like what are the steps to treat this wound, right? Um, but training that does obviously take effort, right? And takes a lot of time. And um, that's why these professions are... Um, so well regarded and, and why these people are awesome um, but for many situations I think in everyday life it helps to have similar kind of action steps that you don't have to kind of really internalize it helps you if you if you kind of have a smart guide in the form of your roam database where you hit like three keys and then you know okay these are the steps to solve like um, I don't know what what sandwich should I make, right? <laughs> um, or whatever uh, dire problem you have to solve. Um, but I I think there there is a place for elevating everyday decision making to the same level of thought put into the process as these more um, high stakes uh, professions have done uh, historically. I'm really curious about how that would be represented. I think I think that'll be pretty interesting to see or at least observe because we have V1 of that already out with people sharing templates of mm -hmm. how do they you know go through certain things and um and Merdula uh who is a guest on the show uh has uh shared her templates for PhD workflows which funnily enough I feel can be used in practically every other field or right. application or a context, right? So right. there's this there's this phase where we look at a workflow or someone's template or someone's algorithm of thought that is imprinted, right? Documented algorithm. And we think, okay, uh, she's using it in that field. Cool. So that's level one. Level two is when when I deconstruct it and I think, okay, I can use it, but I can edit it to my own version, still in the same context. And level three is when once I dissected it and I understood its principles, I can now use more or less the same template in other fields. So the the applicability of this algorithm, which will then showcase just how powerful a public library is, is when everyone is going to ramp up in terms of how they integrate themselves, like their thinking uh, with Rome, how they're engaging with the blocks in their graphs because, you know, they just click three shortcuts and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, okay, I now have a PhD workflow for my time in medicine or something like that. And right. then at the same time, I know how to, what? Like I know how to make a sandwich, but my PhD workflow tells me why do I make the sandwich, right? Like what's the point, right? Is it hunger or is it something deeper? Like it's, it's the, the possibilities there are endless and, uh, I feel like that is a great segue to how tools for thought can expand because it's not just Rome. Rome is like the trailblazer for for network thinking or tools for thought thinking. I mean, I'm still trying to think of a word for it. I, so far, I just call it network thinking. Um, 
we have other amazing tools uh, in the same space, you know, uh, LogSec and OrgRome and Obsidian, of course, and uh, RemNote. And I have a tweet here from uh, Anirudh Badri. And I'm really sorry for butchering your name if I got it wrong, but uh, he asks, uh, what kind of avenues do you see where tools of thought can change or reshape existing institutions like education or learning? And I'm really curious, and I'm going to add on to that question as well. I'm really curious as your take in your take for in the world of political science, what is the impact of tools for thought in that realm? Because I, I technically I have a background in international relations, so I would be really interested in this, but I would love to hear your take. Really good question. Um, I think this actually relates to to a broader point um, mm. of applying the scientific method to as many areas of human life as possible. Um, and I got... Uh, really upset recently when um, Naval was on Tim Ferriss' show and he was talking about um, what is and isn't science, right? And um, he made a point to say, um, well, uh, social sciences um, like are taken over of um, their bullshit science, everything that has science in the name actually isn't a science, right? So um, biology or physics, they don't have science in the name. Those are the real sciences. But um, uh, social science, political science, computer science, they they have science in the name, so, so they aren't actually sciences. And this is a common critique, right? Um, Social sciences are responsible for everything that's bad in the world, um, economics, um, sociology, uh, what have you, and political science as well. Um, and there's yeah. certainly, um, and I don't want to go into the whole uh, culture war discussion, but there's certainly truth to that. But I think the reason that there's truth to that is that, um, particularly in political science, that I'm I'm from Germany, right? So the the Frankfurt School of Political Science Theory is very theory-heavy, right? And what the university um, I'm studying at and many of the political science universities in, in the US, I, I know, try really hard to do is apply the scientific method rigorously to social phenomena right like we can't just give up right it's not like okay yeah we'll continue researching semiconductors to make the computers faster but we will give up on our interest to understand how humans relate to each other how we organize politically right and there's there's ways to apply the scientific method to that. And I think one of the challenges that the field generally has and, and many fields have is training people in these methods, right? And um, training everyone, like every single human being in the world in applying the scientific method. And if you look at it um, a certain way, I think 
applying the scientific method is just a collection of algorithms of thought, right? Thinking about problems in a certain way. And as soon as we democratize that and give more people more chances to use proven useful algorithms to to think about challenges in constructive ways um, that kind of let us take a step back out of the emotion um, and into the the thinking mindset I think that's going to transform not just specific institutions um, but society right if, if we want to paint with a with a really broad brush here um, and how is it going to to change political science um, in particular hard to say um, but I hope that the that the rigorous way to do political science is going to become even more popular than I think it already is becoming. Um, and that maybe that's going to change the perception, but who cares? Um, I have my PhD soon. I, I don't care anymore. But um, <laughs> um, I, I think um, the more institutions can implement shareable ways of thinking through things, I think one of the um, best examples um, for this is um, Ray Dalio's book Principles, right? Where, um, like, he's the uh, manager, CEO, uh, founder of, is it Blackwater, Blackrock? Is it Blackrock? Uh, Blackrock, I, I don't know. I, I always mix these up. I think Blackwater is like the security contractor firm then blackrock is another thing whoever it is uh bridgewater bridgewater, bridgewater. see yeah. okay and I, I can i can never remember that name bridgewater <laughs> uh, water under the bridge okay um and here's this book um principles where he talks about um himself and the way he works as tuning a machine Right and finding the ways to tune the machine to perform better, and then to use processes and principles and algorithms of thought to tune the way his organization works. Right, and he has a very specific way of doing that. Um, and I think the more people we have who do that, right, who look at this as a solvable engineering algorithm problem um the better we're off um in in general i think that's my my very rambly take on um the the potential of algorithms of thought um yeah no totally i i honestly very much agree and the big thing about this is the inclusion of more and more non-academics shall we say into the thinking mindset of an academic for like sure we, when you have a tool like Rome research which seems like it's a very seamless chaotic trashy junkyard of a note-taking block writing app uh, for anyone to put 
their words into and all of a sudden you have backlinking and transclusion, even if, you know, none of us exist, none of us, you know, uh, shall we say most vocal uh, Romans, even if none of us exist on Twitter, people will be still on the search for potential algorithms of thought brewing in their heads Mm -hmm. as they play with these features, as they think, oh, what if I try this? Why don't I try this? Why did this pop up? Why is this block here? Why is this block there? So naturally speaking, the more that we write in our room, the greater our habit of implementing potential seeds for algorithms of thought, or at least become curious in how can I elevate my thinking in this space? And that would attract this growing market of people who, you know, are either, you know, great researchers like yourself or non or just researchers or independent researchers that want to introduce greater processes, greater methods going from A to Z, which are more clear cut. And you find that more in academia, you find that more in science, uh, but I feel like Rome, in a, in a way, Rome is like a gateway for the un, the non-scientific person to become scientific, at least mentally speaking. For sure. Which, and, and yeah. Sorry. Oh, right. you, yeah. you weren't finished. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was already, I, I was going to ramble on myself. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just that um, the, the scientific mindset is... When you, when you just say it right in, in a conversation, it sounds so far away. Like it's not like anyone's going to stop me from trying to achieve that. It sounds like there are gatekeepers. It sounds like there are, it, it sounds so hard to achieve. Uh, but I feel like just even learning about the principles of like, oh, how to use Rome, it's parallel to how do I achieve a scientific mind as I'm writing my notes. And, and it's even all about without thinking about it as achieving a scientific mindset, because I think exactly. that is that is kind of the the secret sauce in Rome for that. Because the more you think on paper here in quotation marks, right um, inside Rome, the more surface area you create to re-encounter your own thinking and observe your own thinking from a position of hopefully understanding things better, right? Like, I think one of the problems you have when you just, like, go through life without taking notes and kind of thinking about things is that I don't remember what I said five minutes ago like word for word and i most certainly don't remember what i thought about this morning right about a certain problem right but by writing it down and putting it into an ecosystem of thoughts on the same topic right i just by accident in a way of course by design in rome but like for me as a user consumer by accident i encounter and revisit my own thoughts as i've written them down and that alone lets me observe okay what's the what's the delta what's the difference between what i thought about this yesterday last week a month ago and what do i think now 
right? And then you can spot, okay, why, like, me last month was obviously very dumb. How come, right? And then you can dig through and say, okay, like, what what was the the process I had here to to think about this? Why did I think this, right? And by observing that, you can then start that process of self-reflection um, without necessarily waking up in the morning saying, today I'm going to science my life, right? It just happens, right? And and I think that is one of the kind of magic affordances that, that Rome gives you that help you guide your own self on a better path without you necessarily trying to do so, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. It also increases the frequency of that happening because right. even without the tool, we could naturally just sit down, you know, drink a cup of coffee and we start thinking about like, oh, uh, what was I thinking about last month or last week? I'm like, oh, why was I sad that time, right? So you, you can reach that state of mind where you may make the connections, but having this tool to complement you, having this tool as an assistant to say, oh, remember this time last week? Um, it's a bit like Facebook memories, but actually useful, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> not that I know I, I don't use Facebook anymore, but like, it's like that. It's, it, it suffers us up something that uh, a memory worth remembering because you have it in your graph. And um, it makes it harder to lie to yourself, right? Because yes. I, I can, of course, think back to like when I made a dumb decision and like when I just think about it and like didn't write it down i can say yeah well i didn't know this and what have you and like there was actually this other thing um <clears throat> even if that was not the case right but if if i've written my process down and i've like step by step lined out why i thought that was a good idea and then it turns out to be not a good idea right it makes it harder to lie to myself and um forces me to to really face what went wrong, uh, which is incredibly useful, of course. Yeah, it's like uh, applying the scientific method on your own life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, isn't the single greatest algorithm of thought ever would be to face your life and think, what can I do next? Like, wouldn't that be the most insane? I would think, like, if we had, and I, I would, I'm going to add this to the the huge tweet thread on public Rome graphs I want to see. If we have a public library or a public graph of algorithms of thought, I, I'm going to bet money that the most referenced block, once we go hypergraphic, the most referenced block would be the algorithm of thought concerning life. Right? Like that's going to be, it's like, it's almost up there with, with like, well, how does that quote go? The, the two most important questions the two, the two, the two most important events in your life are the day that you are born and the day that you know why, right? It's like that. Oh, right? I like that. Yeah, yeah. I forgot the exact wording. It's like the the two the two most important things in your life, but it's like that, right? It's it's ways to reframe what this is and then how can you move forward from there. So I would really love to see that. Uh, mm -hmm. Is there anything else from? say, rote research's development that you want to see uh, pop out? Like any upcoming things that you've seen them tease and you just can't wait to get your hands on it? Well, um, I think the 
the API is going to kind of start a Cambrian explosion of um, plugins and integrations, which I'm very, very excited for. Um, I, I see what um, Rome Hacker with Rome 42 and Victor Tabori are doing and, and all the others. And it blows my mind what's already possible and thinking about what will happen when we have um, the API and then go uh, multiplayer, that's going to be nuts. Um, for a specific feature, um, I think um, that's something I've, I've been talking about um, the last couple of days with, uh, with the Rome hacker um, is kind of proto template to algorithm um, plugins, right? So um, kind of letting a template contain variables, right? So um, I enter whatever shortcut for template and it asks me a question, A or B. And when I select A, it gives me a certain um, list of blocks get added. If I answer B, a different set of blocks get added. Right. So, um, oh, okay. Right. right. Because, because okay. then, because then you really can program kind of c conditional thought processes yeah. in your thinking okay. in Rome. Right. And to, to break it down to, to a really, um, simple example, I think a year or two ago, um, I kind of made myself a list of things I could do to, um, regenerate my my state of mind, right? Like when I'm super tired or unhappy or what have you, things I can do, like take a shower, take a run, um, do some burpees, what have you, right? But of course, not everything is applicable in the in the same setting, right? So, um, if I've only slept like two hours, um taking a nap probably a better idea to go do heavy deadlifts right um which also makes very happy i highly recommend everyone do he heavy deadlifts uh, <laughs> but um with proper form please <laughs> with proper form of course yeah. um yeah. and so finding a way to kind of just having to to tell rome in a way okay i'm feeling down a little bit help me get out of this Right, and the help that comes is not some hey, someone wrote a weird AI based on bad data, and here's some uh, whatever suggestions. But it's you having tested for yourself the things that work, right? Where you can literally run science experiments on yourself, saying, "Okay, um, today I feel kind of tired. I'm going to take a cold shower." Yeah, okay, worked, didn't work. Next day, hmm, feeling tired again. I'm going to, did I actually drink enough? Okay, let me drink something. And over time, you can accumulate evidence for certain behaviors that you then can automatically prompt yourself for. And getting to that place and integrating that with all the, the other knowledge you gather about yourself, um, it, I think... Um, 
once we can do that, kind of like do these programmed templates, um, conditional logic, I think that's that's going to blow my mind. Um, I think that's going to be very cool. I never thought about that, actually. That sort of blew my mind as well. <laughs> because I've been trying to do something similar to the examples that you brought up, except it's more of a shotgun spread. So it's more like I have something called a chaos reset button, which is basically a page uh, in my graph where it's like, if I'm feeling sad, go to this page, right? So it's just a shotgun spread of like every single solution I've tried. And you just try a few of them. Hopefully they'll work, right? Exactly. But if you're talking yeah. about, yeah. So if you're talking about conditional, it will be like, it will be like, well, actually what 42 is doing privately right now. But I think by the time that we release this episode, it should be okay. Uh, but I'm sorry, Rome Hacker, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. But uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, where where if I do a custom shortcut, which will open up a pop-up window that will give me options to click on, it'll be like a choose-your-own-adventure game, except that the graph will react according to your choices. So the following blocks will appear, or it may direct you to a page, which is like the end goal of the adventure or something like that, uh, where it's most likely to help you with your current thought process. Exactly. Where you try to achieve a certain thing. Wow, I now I want to see that happen. Wow, I want to make it happen, Connor. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, native, please, Uh, native. uh, Exactly. Of course, uh, every every single feature request we want it native, (laughs) and we also want it available on mobile as well. We we are very greedy people, uh, us Romans. Um, (laughs) And 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 I love the Rome Research Team for being able to to handle us like that <laughs> like being able They're to awesome. cater to all the requests so uh much love to the room research team for building an amazing tool right now and making us think about potential features right yeah. like we like we don't know how long the timeline for this might take like we're not even looking at api yet like it, it isn't out yet there's multiplayer there's hypergraphic Right, that's my favorite feature. I I can't wait to to see because I want to test out, I want to test out filtering. So mm. filtering for me is a term when if you have two graphs and and you're always doing duplicates of this graph, which is public front facing, and then your private graph. Filtering is when you always have them hypergraphic. You always have them most updated in the public graph. Yeah. And then people would succumb, uh, people would gather at the public graph uh, and you don't have to touch the public graph at all. It can just work from your private and everyone would see what's the most updated yeah. thing. Uh, a filtering can help because then you can determine what is the value of that public graph and its borders mm-hmm. without you managing it, which is huge for Rome creators. So that's why it's most, yeah. yeah. But now I want to test this conditional thing. It's, it's, <laughs> I feel like I, I've seen it in Excel a lot. And I now I want to see it in Rome, mm-hmm. and it's annoying me now that I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and a complete segue, but I really want to ask you this. Uh, so there's a thing that I read, and I wanted to ask you uh, what it means to you. Uh, so it's a quote, and the quote starts off with the following: 
The room is filled with a three-dimensional constellation of hypercards hanging weightlessly in the air. It looks like a high-speed photograph of a blizzard in progress. In some places, the hypercards are placed in precise geometric patterns like atoms in a crystal. In other places, whole stacks of them are clumped together. And it goes on more than that. But uh, So let me ask you, why is that your Twitter header? Um, yeah, so... Um just a couple of months ago, um, I read um, Snow Crash, um, which is the book where where this quote is from. And it's one of the first um, novels set in a kind of cyber world. Um, Neil Stevenson is the author, um, amazing author. If you haven't read seven eves yet um you need to starts with the best sentence a book has ever started with the moon blew up without warning and for no apparent reason that's the first <laughs> sentence of of seven eves um it's it's an amazing book um read that but um a couple of years prior, <laughs> so um, I think someone in the uh, somewhere in the nineties, right, early nineties, early eighties. Um, yeah. uh, Stevenson wrote um, Snow Crash, which is the first kind of hacker novel set in in cyberspace, and um, he or, or merging um, uh, the real world and 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 cyberspace in in its um, narrative, and it's. Um, about a computer virus that uh, infects humans, um, and that computer virus is called um, Snow Crash. Really interesting, like premise: the computer virus is um, uh, old Sumerian, so the language, and it infects the brainstem um, by when when people um, kind of hear that language or or get that. Um, downloaded um in into their brain like a computer would um super interesting premise and in one scene the the main um uh, character um who is amusingly called hero protagonist um he enters um a room where these hyper cards um hang in the room um are stacked Across, and that is kind of how I imagine what Rome is going to look like in a year or two from now. Um, in that, um, I think is going to be amazing when we can look at our own graphs, notes, thoughts, and kind of blow them out into augmented reality, pick them, choose them spatially arrange them um and that's why that quote is there um because that's kind of when i read that i was like oh shit he's talking about what i think rome's going to be um <laughs> and um it's it's amazing it's, especially when when you consider um where ar is going to be in the next couple of years um i think that's that's going to be a huge huge uh, thing and i'm i'm really looking forward to um, exploring my own thinking and algorithms of thought in 3D space instead of just uh, the computer screen. The day that that would happen and Rome is live 
in a VR space or a 3D space. You will probably not see me on Twitter anymore. I'll just, be, <laughs> I'll just have it, have the device on my head uh, all the time, just staring at my notes in wonder. And I've always, I was been thinking about that actually. Um, maybe not to the extent, but the the concept of a thinking room, which mm-hmm. is a large white room with the ceiling, the walls, the floors acting as a screen where all your notes are flying out in different directions and each wall represents a different, you know, a different node or a different area or a different angle of the graph or, or something like that, right? And you can play around with that uh, in that room. Like it's, it's, it's like the toy that kids would have where they try to fit the shapes into the holes that are the same shape, mm-hmm. except that these shapes can lead to many different rabbit holes all around the room. So you have this whole playground and that is your brain uh, in this thinking room. So like... It's, yeah, I'm, it's. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it is. Um, there's a reason that in in movies, the conspiracy theorists or the people like who map like the connections between people, um, like it's always it always ends up with strings going from one end to the room to the other, and then like photos and notes pinned to it, and and what have you. Um, which I used to do as like a, a three-year-old. I would take pieces of uh, string and like connect the lamp to the desk and then the chair and then the floor. And I was like, look, Ma, everything is connected. Um, so uh, it's, it's kind of all full, full circle uh, for me that I'm, I'm, I'm using Rome now where everything is connected. But um, I think we're spatial thinkers, right? Like humans are spatial animals like we perceive depth and the computer screen as a 2d medium and paper as a 2d medium um are limiting right they they don't fully utilize um the way our brains work right and in the moment where we can kind of take it 3d um without the um confines of actual space right like where you're limited by okay how many rooms do i have in my house uh, that that i can plaster with the whiteboards right but where it can just whip up uh, a new whiteboard like that by um i don't know doing a gesture in in vr i think that's another area where like human thinking um is is just going to go the the next step um when we can utilize that that next dimension uh, and i hope that uh, rome will be you know uh be the trailblazer for that to be possible or to allow that to be viable because as much as we can see it visualized in science fiction movies and or described uh in a fictional piece there is the matter of trying to apply it to something in real life uh, and and like we've seen it many different places people are trying to emulate that right by actually having those 
strings actually attached. And I mean, you you pretty much already have the Rome research thinking mindset from three years old. Yeah. Uh, uh, many props to you for being able to keep <laughs> that up uh, up until now to the point where you have an alter ego based off of this, based off of the future True. of thinking. And with that said, uh, we are coming up on time. So I might as well ask you a couple of questions left. The first one is, how would you describe Rome to someone who hasn't started using it yet? I've tried so hard to find a good answer to this and I'm still <laughs> struggling as you see um, Rome is a tool that helps you think on paper and not lose it um in the paper pile um in that rome lets you externalize your thoughts and notes and insights and as we talked about before re-exposes you to them without you doing any work um and that is still esoteric and I think someone who's never seen Rome and has no interest in note-taking probably won't care. But I think people who are at least um, have an ambient interest in thinking and note-taking, um, once they see Rome, they will kind of get it. Um, so yeah. I, I think that's the answer I have now. I'm still searching. <laughs> of course, of course. Now, uh, I mean, uh, our answer to this, our answer to the question will always change and evolve and it will always adapt to the context and to the experiences of the person we're trying to convince. Because uh, even if I try to answer this question myself, if you ask me like last month or two months ago, my answer would be different. Yeah. Because it's it's hard. It's It's hard to... It's hard to define what Rome can do for you in one sentence. You need the context-dependent insight, really. You need the different paragraphs explaining to you what it can do because only specific blocks can apply to specific people's needs or uses, right? So it's okay. If you're still searching for it, you can always add it yeah, and, uh, later and, on. And or I, did, yeah. I, I think it's also like what you just said. It's like it depends on on people's needs, right? So yeah. um, the... Before answering that question, I would hopefully most likely ask what problem are you trying to solve, right? Like, do you just want to have an app to like do grocery lists? You can do that. Mobile support is lacking. You probably don't want to do it. Um, but if you do reading and you want to remember what you read, for example, then Rome is the tool for you, right? Um, so yeah, it's as always like start with the problem and then explain the solution from there. Um, I, I think. And of course, the final question, the most important one, especially for Cortex Futura, the future brain thinking about how humans will think in future. What does Rome mean to you?
I really like um, how Nicholas Luhmann um, put it um, about having conversations with his Zettelkasten. Um, and Rome means to me that it's, I don't know, the the first tool in years where I feel it has become an extension of myself instead of forcing me to notice the tool all the time, right? Um, uh, if, if you're really good in using woodworking equipment, right? The moment you stop noticing the tool, um, the hammer, the saw, the chisel, what have you, and you just materialize what you want to achieve, right? That's the moment um, where you know, okay, this is the right tool for me because it gets out of my way. And as hard as the learning curve for Rome for uh, a total beginner may be, once you get to the point where it gets out of your way and you just use it, where you're just in it, um, that's the moment where you're like, <sighs> and I feel, to be honest, we had it with me connecting things as a three-year-old and and kind of hacking um, my own um, my own solution for a long time. Rome feels like home. It feels like this is home for thinking. Um, and yeah, that's that what Rome means. Absolutely beautiful answer. And to me, honestly, Rome does feel like home as well. And I, you know, I'm going to be very honest. I don't know when did I stop noticing the tool. I, I cannot pinpoint it. It was so weird. I, I, I remember maybe two to three months in of usage that I forgot what it was like without room. Mm-hmm. Not to make it sound like a very creepy way. It was just like, oh, right. It it became so internalized into my routine that everything must go in there. Everything needs to be put in there and everything. I, I do my thinking there. It is my... It, it is my thinking room. It is the it is the room where I put the strings between the events of my life. It is where I make these connections. It is where I actively, it, it is the infinite paper in which I think in the very, when I, when I think via analog media, but digitally, right? It's yeah. like, it's like yeah. this infinite canvas that I just want to fill up, right? I just want to paint all the time. It's beautiful. Um, so yeah, I feel like Rome is home for you know the the ones who think so much the ones who think the most the ones who try to make the most connections and i'm sure that it will help you even more uh the more that we observe where rome research would go so lucas thank you so much for being thank you on for having the show. me this was yeah. so much fun <laughs> If we want to reach out to you to contact you for anything that we talked about in this conversation, what's the best way to do that? Uh, probably Twitter. Um, at Cortex Futura um, is where I live my um, my social life uh, uh, in, in, in times of COVID. Um, 
which is, by the way, shout out to uh, Rome cult. Um, uh, the term cult often has a negative connotation, but the people um, I've met, you included, um, are just awesome people. And it feels like these be my people, right? And um, so shout out to Rome Cult. Um, hit me up on Twitter. Um, that's the that's the best place. Um, also, cortexfutura.com. Um, you can sign up for my email newsletter there. Um, I plan on putting more stuff out on YouTube soon-ish, but uh, we'll we'll see how much time my PhD permits me. Um, but as as soon as I can, that's um, going to be another place. But to contact me, talk to me, um, jam on cool things. Um, Twitter is the place. Fantastic! All right. Cortex, a.k.a. Lucas, thank you so much. And I will thank see you, no you on Twitter. Awesome. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the show. Make sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app. And for a full version of the show notes to this episode, you can check out the public Rome graph. The link to that will be in the description right below. For more updates, comments, feedback, and suggestions, you can reach out to me at RomeFM on Twitter. Keep roaming your thoughts, and I will see you in the next episode. Take care.